Dalid, the is Lamed Dalid, and uh, we pick up on the top of Lamed Gimel and Bet. Let's see, I think today we actually might be able to close the gap. Um, and we're dealing with right now in the middle of the issue about Kibbut Kavod Rav, and uh, we just had the statement that uh, we'll take it from the very top of Lamed Gimel and Bet. This is a statement in the name of Rav Ivo Amar Rav Yanai. Ein Tamachacham Rishai Lamod Mignei Ravo. Tamachacham is not allowed, although Tosa says Rishai here means not required to stand up in the fr- before his Rebbe. Um, Ella Shacharit Varavit. Only um, morning and evening. Today, so it shouldn't be greater than the honor afforded to heaven, where it's only, again, funny, two times, although it's three times if we're talking about davening, which presumably we are, but okay, let's say you do, maybe this is an indication that they used to do an early Minchan Marv together, or Tfilas Marv Rishus, or something. I don't know. Anyway. So today, that's a good point. That's a good point. Today, that's a very good point. Um, you know, uh, hmm... Um, that's a very good point. You're right. This one does sound more like it's an issue about permitted, that it should not be, that it should, you know, that it should not, should not be more than what we do for God. All right, that's a good point. Mase says, the Gemara, I'll ask you on this. How do you know, uh, you know, a sage should not cause a burden on people? That he has to, you know, even he has to be fearful of God and not overdo the honor due to him. So, um, so if it's only you know then um, you know then you know that that he that morning and evening why should he not cause them the burden meaning if they haven't done it morning and evening then that's their obligation and if they've already if they're already going to do it morning and evening then walking in people's presence won't cause any greater obligation than the basic two right we're not talking about more than two so what's the big deal so you see that it's not true that any time of the day that you see your Rebbe off the stand someone says look no, if we were talking just about morning and evening. And even so, even if it's just that, morning and evening, still, if it's possible, don't even cause people to stand even for that minimum amount. Find a way to go around, not to even, you know, make them have to do that. Um, okay, so that's the, um, that's the end of that. Now, if you take a look at Tosus, though. Tosus says, you know, it's not so black and white. It's also interesting that it starts with Ein Talmid Chacham Rashai Lamod Bifnei Rabo. Why does it specifically say about a Talmid Chacham? And why does it say Rabo? Why, right? We're talking about standing before any sage or whatever, right? Or, I mean, that's this whole question going on in this Gemara, specifically, your Rebbe, is it any sage? But still, why does it say Talmid Chacham? So Tosus, maybe it's even a Talmid Chacham, but let's look at what Tosus says. Ein Talmid Chacham Rashai Lamod Bifnei Rabo why did Rav get upset when he passed by the students that were on the other side of the river that they weren't standing for him maybe they did stand for him in the morning and in the evening maybe they stood in the morning it wasn't yet the evening they would stand for him in the evening you know and maybe he just, and even if he didn't see them stand for him in the morning maybe he wasn't aware you know that they had stood for him in the morning so how could we you know how is he getting so upset no, what we're talking about is people that are like living in the Rebbe's house, or what we might say is like students in a yeshiva, where they're seeing the Rebbeim the whole day, 
Okay, you're seeing Rebbein the whole day. Every time the Rebbe walks in and out of the room, you stand up. So the Gemara says, "Demistara amdu shachis v'adis." Aval tamidim acherim chayavim l'amor afilu me'apamim bayom. But other students, even if it's a Talmud Rebbe relationship, right? If it's not like you're in the constant presence, it's a nice analogy to God. You're constantly in the presence of God, right? So if you're not in the constant presence, so even if he's like dropping in and out, but nevertheless, you know, it's still, you know, it's still afilu me'apamim bayom. Shema yirat now. Why does Tosa say it now? You might have just said that it's like each time is a new event. It's not like a sense of continuity. That's what I would have said. If he's regularly there, then it's not like a new event, right? But Tosus doesn't frame it that way. Here's how Tosus frames it. Um, um, because somebody will see the Rebbe just walking into the room and nobody stood. What is this? You guys don't show respect for your Rebbe, right? And presumably, if they're regularly there, somebody won't have that shot, that suspicion. And even says, no, more than that. The only reason you don't have to stand if you're all together in the yeshiva is because everybody's in it together. So everybody knows that everybody else stood earlier in the day. But if you have a visitor come to the yeshiva, and that, then everybody needs to stand for the Rebbe to show the respect you show the Rebbe. So it's very so interesting, this idea about chashad, but you know, one could also tie the idea of chashad in coming class, the idea of chashad to the idea of kavod, because kavod is also, how, you know, a respect shown in a public sphere, not just the, between the two people. I mean, I can show you honor and nobody else could be around, but there's also, you know, sort of like the Gemara also about in the bathroom. There are certain types of social realities in which this, the parameters change. Okay, so that's the way Tosas understands it. If you're already making this distinction, you could make it the other way, as I said, whether it's like a new event or not a new event. Think about the example about like, you know, it's in the middle of a thunderstorm, right? And every time you see lightning, every time you see thunder, you have to make a bracha. The answer is no. The answer is only if it's, it's all the same storm, you don't have to, even though you're sort of experiencing the thunder and lightning each time. But if the clouds scatter and then it starts sh- raining again, you know, then you do. So anyway, it's interesting. Tosa's trying to put a balance between this statement and it doesn't really seem that way from certain other Gemaras. Yes. Is there any uh, of standing for your parents? Um, you, well, he didn't say that you do. He's like, you know, you know, Yosheva or Machri Simonti. Right, right. I mean, the Gemara didn't say right. Eno Omedim Kamo. There was a Gemara before about. I think right. Somebody said that when he heard his mother coming, he says the Shchina is coming and he stood up. But I think it's terms of like a strict requirement. You're right. It's not. It's only for the Rebbe, which is going to be interesting because we're going to get to this issue about covered parents and covered the Rebbe, and we're going to get to it in a minute. So let's take a look. Um, okay. I'm Rabbi Lazar. Call to me Chacham Sheino Omi Mei Rabbi Rasha. If you don't do it, you're called a Russia. Okay, and you don't have long days. And you forget your your your, your own Torah. And there will not be good, which is understood to be like Torah, because what else is uh, good if for, for Talmud Chacham for the wicked person? So he's called a Rasha. The lo yarich yamim, and he won't have long days. Ketzel asher einenu yare like 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 a, like a you know a shade, like it'll be very ephemeral. Asher einenu yare milishnei elokim, and he does not a fear before God. What is this fear? It means standing up. And as Tosus points out, also that uh, that you know that the uh, what? Because it's the end of the pasuk of uh, right. It's the end of the pasuk of Vadarta Pneizav Kain Yareitem Meilokecha. Now the Gemara says, but there's a number of places that it says Yareitem Meilokecha. The Ema Morah Ribit. The Habad of the fact that it says like you know. Um, 
Elokecha, right? Umarat Mishkalot, and the weights. Now, the problem with the weights is, right, it says like Avne Tzedek, Vahin Tzedek, whatever, it doesn't say Vyarete Melokecha. So, Tosa says, well, maybe it's because by the Amalek is juxtaposed to the Mishkalot, and by the Amalek it says Velo Yare Elohim, right? So, in Zvarim, it speaks about the Avne Tzedek, Vahin Tzedek, and then it speaks about the Chort Asher Salach Amalek. So, that, so, that's the, and Amalek was Lo Yare Elohim. Although, Tosa has another brilliant read of what Mishkalot means, which Tosa has Girsa, well, it's not really a question of, of, of read, but it's a Girsa, not Mishkalot, but Mich Shalot, and it's Lotitain Michshol Viareta Melokecha. So putting a stumbling block before somebody else. Anyway, Rabbi Eliezer. So anyway, but there's other places it says Viareta Melokecha. Rabbi Eliezer. So the Gemara says Rabbi Eliezer Pnei Pnei Gamar. No, because here it says Milisnei HaElohim, and it says Hadarta Pnei Zakain. Also, one could speak about the fact that you know that the it's fear of God is tied. You know the whole idea Moras Rabchok Moras Shemayim. It's not just the juxtaposition of Viareta Melokecha. Part of this has to do with a type of a honor and fear and awe, reverence shown towards, you know, towards Torah and towards religious achievement, towards somebody that sort of represents something godly. Okay, so now the Gemara says like this. Tosh, now, of course, again, the funny thing is, why do you have to say about a Talmud Chacham? Say anybody who doesn't show Morabi Snei Rabbo. And again, the question is, is it because a Talmud Chacham might be, think like, oh, I'm such a big Talmud Chacham myself. Like, ah, you know, why do I have to show cover to him? I know as much as him or whatever. You know, there could be that issue, right? Or there could be the idea that, like, you know, so therefore, like, the Talmud Chacham maybe would be more inclined, you know, not to do it, right? Um, like, has a little Yetzir Hara not to do it. So maybe that's why we have to say that if a Talmud Chacham does not do it, um, but, um, you know, or maybe, again, maybe it's like it's more of a, you know, a Pgiyan, the Kavod HaTorah, that, uh, you know, that somebody is, um, you know, that somebody sort of who, uh, you know, who really, like, appreciates, you know, what this Torah is and is not showing it. There's different ways of framing it. Or, and here's really the one thing that I wanted to say, is that, again, how much has the emphasis shifted from Pnei Zakein, which is any, any sort of Torah sage, to this issue of Rabo. So the reason it might be talking about Tamid Chacham is maybe it's not saying like, oh, a Tamid Chacham, you know, might have a Yetzir Hara not to stand, and even he, though, you know, will be punished or whatever. Maybe it's actually saying that Davka Tamid Chacham, because he has a ready Tamid relationship. Somebody who doesn't stand before Tamid before a Stam sage, all right, that's a problem. But it's like a particular problem with somebody who has this ready Tamid relationship, and he's actually violating that. What did you want to say, though? I was going to say that... Uh the Oh, because he has Torah to be lost. Ah, that's a good point. And Rashi says Tov means Torah, but that's only relevant to a Tamid Chacham. Right, that's relevant to a Tamid Chacham. Yeah, so again, I think that the interesting question here is, is the Gemara emphasizing the heightened responsibility with a Tamid Rebbe relationship? Or is it sort of saying, like, even a Tamid Chacham, or a Tamid Chacham might have a greater, like, somehow Yetzir Horat not to stand? Okay, so now the Gemara says like this. Um... Ibailu, they ask the question. Binovu Rabo, and now we get exactly to this. The issue of that covered Rav and covered, you know, Kibrav Aim. Now, it is true, by the way, you know, it's, what's important to sort of know in the background is that the famous Gemara says that if a person has to choose between returning a lost object to his Rebbe or to his father, because he finds an object on the street or whatever, he can only pick up one of them, right? He returns it to his Rebbe because his father brought him into this world and his Rebbe brings him Lolam Haba, right? And there's, there's a certain priority given. So that's sort of would incline one to think that Kibbut Rav is going to trump Kibbut Rav Aim. Okay, but that's if you have to choose, like, do I go give honor to my father or do I give honor to my Rebbe? But he, what if they're like, 
in op- going in opposite directions because the student is the Rebbe of the father. Okay? So it's not just like you passively, you know, prioritizing one over the other. It's actually, if the father will now stand for the son because the son is his Rebbe, is that actually undermining the whole institution of Kibrav. You know what I'm saying? It's not just choosing one. It's to make the father, the one who gives honor to the son, is actually, you know, directly opposite the whole relationship of Kibrav the aim. So that's going to be the question. So let's take a look. Ibailu, so they raise the question. Binovu Rabo, if somebody's son is his Rebbe, Ma'lamod Nipnei Aviv, so does the son stand for the father? And we're going to ask the other question in a minute. Does the father stand for the son? But let's ask each question separately. Does the son stand for his father if the son is the Rebbe? So the Gemara says, Tashma, come in here. Now, if you'll remember before, Rebbe Yehuda was the one who corrected his father, Rebbe Chezkel, who was teaching this, uh, you know, this thing about Nishkalim and Nisrafim, and he says, don't teach it this way, teach it that way, and then Shmuel said back to him, Shinina, hey, you think you're so sharp, you don't, you know, don't speak to your father that way. People remember that story? Right? So anyway, so he needed a little lesson about Kibbutz Ha'ein, but nevertheless, it was clear that he was the Rebbe and his father was the Talmud. And nevertheless, what does Shmuel say to him? So Shmuel's very consistent. Wants to keep Yehuda and his, Rebbe Yehuda in his place and teach him you might be smarter, but talk to your father in the right way, stand before your father, and so on. So you see that even if the son is the Rebbe, the son has to, that doesn't mean that the son doesn't do his obligation of Kibbutz Ha'ein. He still has to recognize the, that his father is his father. Of the father. Um, oh, you know what? That's a good point. Uh, that's a good point. That the Gemara is actually assuming that the uh, um, right this obligation of standing um, yeah it's a good point okay let's, I'll get back to that but let's read this one so the Mar says no so the Mar says no 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 Rabbi Cheskel wasn't just his father Rabbi Cheskel had a special obligation to stand for him because he was like Rabbi Cheskel was who was Rabbi Huda's father no no Rabbi Cheskel was the father Rabbi Cheskel wasn't it wasn't just because he was the father Rabbi Cheskel also was like a big chassid. Baal Nassim was like he was a person of great, you know, uh, religious deeds, you know, great righteous deeds. And therefore, that demanded respect. So even in the sort of Torah religious realm, you know, there was, uh, you know, there was, he was, uh, he was it, you know, Rabbi Huda might have been the Talmud Chacham, but he was like the Tzaddik. Okay? So therefore, that made the situation different. Okay? They were more religious equals in that way. Dafilu Mar Shmuel, because even Shmuel himself, Naikai Mikamei. Even Shmuel, Shmuel the Rabbi Huda, stand before him, but Shmuel would stand before Rabbi Yechezkel. So it didn't have to do with the fact that Rabbi Yechezkel was the father. It had to do with Rabbi Yechezkel himself a fool, was, a, was, uh, you know, was worthy of that honor of, the, of standing in front of him. That's, okay, so the Gemara says, El my Kamarle. So that's true. What's the point of telling him, hey, stand before your father? It's not because of stand before your father. It seems like it's a Chiddush in Hilchos Kibbutz aim. According to this, it's just because, you know, this person is a, you know, great accomplished person. So, uh, you know, in the world of, uh, of Masin Tovim and, you know, and, and Mitzvos. So the Gemara says, no, Hachi Kamarle. This is what he's saying to him. Zini da'asi me'achurai kumat mikamei. Velotechosh li'ikra didi. Sometime your father will be coming behind me and and, you know, and even if, like, you've already stood for me and you think now to stand for him in my presence will be, will be disrespectful to my honor, Shmuel talking to Rebbe Huda, don't worry about that. Still stand for him, okay? But it's a very funny reread to what? It's, uh, you know, it's like about some totally new idea about standing before somebody who's a tzaddik, you know, 
Yisrael and even in the presence of your Rebbe stand before somebody who's a Tzaddik it didn't sound like that it sounded like it was a Chiddush in Hilchos Kibbut Avaim okay but the Gemara somehow managed to bracket that let's keep on going Toshma come in here I'm sorry, did I skip a line? Uh, Ibailu. So we don't have an answer to that question. Next question. So we don't know if the son stands for the father, but now we want to know, would the father stand for the son? So is there still going to be, you know, is, when, when the son is the bigger Talmud Chacham, does he have to show Kavarav, or is that undermining the, his, his status as a Rebbe and, as, and a, you know, and a Torah scholar? And the reverse, when the father is the student, does he have to show Kavarav, or is that undermining his role as the father? Okay, so the Gemara says like this. So Tashma come here. The Amar of Yeshua ben Levi. Ani eini kedai lamod mipnei bini. Ela mishum kvod beit hanasi. I really am do not you know should not have to stand before my son uh, because he's not a, a big tam chacham, but I stand before him because he's connected to the house of the nasi, presumably by marriage, I guess, or by political connections, not by birth because <laughs> then I would also be anyway and that's why I stand because he's obviously you know of his sort of uh, political status so the Gemara says time is Ana Rabbe the reason is because I'm the Rebbe Ha'i Rabbi if he was my Rebbe I would stand before him right the implication is I don't stand before him because of his Torah knowledge I stand before him because of his political connections but it sounds like if he did have the Torah knowledge the father would stand before the son so the Gemara says Ha'chi Kamar Ani Eini Kedai Lamod Bini Really, I shouldn't have to stand before my son even if he was my rebbe, because I'm the father. Father should never stand before the son in all cases. But only because he's connected to the Beit Nasi. So basically, we have no answer. Right? We tried to bring a proof. Each thing sort of suggested the simple shot of each thing was that the son stands for the father and the son is the rebbe, and the father stands for the son when the son is the rebbe, and we had a way to push off both of those proofs. So what are you left with? So the rush, no. and therefore the Shulchan Aruch passing here, Michael, for once I'll actually discuss Psach, because Michael always says, what's the Psach? Okay, so the rush and the Shulchan Aruch because this is very interesting. The rush, I, I'm seeing if I can pull up the Rambam, the rush and the Shulchan Aruch Paskins, that it's, uh, what do you call it? That it's, um, that, uh, uh, each that they both stand for one another. So yeah, like I don't know how that would happen, but which I guess if one mo- walks into the room, then the other one stands up. But I, I'm not exactly sure how to synchronize it. But both are obligated to show respect to one another. So which is a nice idea. Which means like, and it's a nice idea when you're saying both of them at the same time, right? Because if you only said it in one direction, you're left with the problem that if you know the father stands for the son, but not vice versa, he's losing his status of the father. Right? But if the son is also standing for him, both statuses are acknowledged. Right? Or the reverse, right? If the son, you know, then, you know, uh, what would be the case? I said, father stands, if the son stands for the father and the father not for the son, then it undermines the kavod that's deserved to Torah and the son's status as Rebbe. Right? So, to say just one is a problem, but to say both allows both of them to, you know, to both statuses to be acknowledged. Rambam, however, interestingly, um, rules all really do Rambam. Rambam here rules. Um, So 
האב שהיה תלמיד בנו, אין האב עומד מפני הבן, אבל הבן עומד מפני אביו, אף על פי שהוא תלמידו. אוקיי, אז הרמב״ם זה באמת מאוד מעניין. כלומר, המשפחה הזאת, אם ההלכה היא, אתה מתחיל לרבי זוודה לפני ההלכה זוודה, אבל אני חושב שיש משהו כזה פונדמנטלי, אילן ותורה עומד, תמה. So here's the halacha about a mitzorah, that if a mitzorah 
basically is the, the halacha is that if a um, if that if a, if, if, if a mitzora and a tahor person are in the same you know room under the same roof, then the tahor person is tame. But it's not like mace where it works with straight tumas ohel. Only if the mitzora is standing, if the if, I mean, it's sitting. If the mitzora is like moving or standing, it doesn't. It, it, the, the person under the tree or under the roof does not become tame. So tame yoshev if the tame person is sitting tachasilan the tahor omed and the tahor person is standing tame. Then he's tame because the issue is that the tame person has to be sitting. Tame omed tachasilan the tahor yoshev if the tame is standing okay he's not not even walking just standing and the tahor is sitting tahor. So the tummy person has to be sitting. The yashav hatamei, but if the in the tummy person chooses to sit down, hatahor tamei, then he becomes tamei. There's so many tummies in tahor here. It's hard, you know. You got to learn how to parse this. V'chein be'emen hamenugat, and the same is true. If the it's not we're talking about a person who was a mitzora, but a stone that has saraat that is being carried under a tree. Okay, so this week's parsha. So if the stone is being carried under the tree, so if the person holding the stone is standing, the people under the tree are tahor. But if the person holding the stone is sitting the people under the tree are Tameh. So what so what how is this relevant? Ramar of Nachman Barkoin, Zot Omerit, this tells you the Rachov Timahalik dummy. That that riding is like moving. Why does it tell you riding is like moving? Because the stone is you know, the stone isn't moving, it's just being moved. And nevertheless the identity of the stone is defined by the one that is conveying it. So if the one that is conveying it is standing, it's like the stone is standing. If the one that's conveying it is moving, it's like the stone, or, or sitting, or whatever. You know, if sitting, it's like the stone is sitting. And if the one is moving, it's like the stone is moving. So you see, the status of the stone is like the thing underneath it. I have no idea how this is relevant at all. Excuse me. First of all, this is the question of standing versus sitting, which is both are stationary, as opposed to moving versus sitting, versus standing. And, as I said, what does this issue? Why should it be relevant? And where do you even get the idea that uh, that by Hadarta Pnei Zaken it has it, it's relevant sitting versus standing? To, to be you know, I, I don't begin to understand this Kamara. Anyway, moving on. Ibaruhu Ma'ala Mutim Sefer Torah. Do you stand in the presence of a Sefer Torah? So Reb Chilki of Reb Simon of Reb Eliezer Amar Kavachomer Mita Kavachomer You do Mitnei Lomdel Omni Mipanel Lo If you stand before those who learn Torah, certainly you stand before the Torah itself. Go the other way around. Yeah, why? Because meaning, like, the whole point of the Torah is to be internalized. In other words, like, you know, like, isn't there this whole thing, like, I remember this other Gemara, like, all oh, these people are so silly that they stand in front of the Sefer Torah, not in front of the Tamari Kachamim. Right. Tamari Kachamim. Exactly. From 40 Mako, 40 lashes to 39. Right, 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 right. right. The, the power of, yeah. you know, Torah Shabbat Pen, our love, right. right. And, you know, right. And also what it means to sort of take it out of sort of the thing that, you know, to make it alive and to transmit it and to, yeah. you know, exactly. But here, that's the way, this is what this position is saying. Rabbi Live, Rabbi Yaakov, they were sitting. passed by and they stood in front of him. Um, so, um, so he said to them, first of all, I don't understand why you stood before me. First of all, you're Chad Chachamim, and I'm just a Chaver. A Chaver is somebody of like status in the community, maybe somewhat of a Balmastim, like we saw before, but not Tamid Chachamim. So why did you stand before me? And number two, does Torah stand up in the presence of its learners? Now, what does that mean? That means, so the way Rashi says what it means is, is that, um, well, the Gemara is going to say, 
that a Chacham cannot stand in front of his Rebbe when he is learning Torah. So presumably they were learning Torah and they interrupted their Torah to stand in his presence. So he said the actual learning of Torah like, is like the Sefer Torah. That's like Torah itself, right? So by interrupting your Torah and standing, you're having Torah stand before me. I'm just a learner of Torah. Torah was actually coming out of your mouth. You know, it was the chefs of Torah, we would say. And then you had that Torah show, show feel, like, show reverence to me, and I'm just a learner of Torah. Okay? So the Torah does not show reverence to the learner of Torah. So the Gemara said, now the Gemara ends by saying, but Abaye would, like, curse this practice of Rebbe Eliezer that says that if you're learning Torah, you don't stand up in front of a Talmud Chacham. And I think that this, and he said that's absolutely wrong. Even if you're learning Torah, you stand up in front of a Talmud Chacham. And I think that this is, you know, the point that Dov said before. I was thinking the same point, but I was thinking about this Gemara, which is that what does it mean that if you're learning Torah and, you're at, and, and, and that you can't show respect to a Torah sage while you're learning Torah? What does it say about the Torah that you're learning, right? So that's actually here. So that's, again, like to show kavod to the, to the Sefer Torah, you can make a kavachomer. But that doesn't mean that if you're learning Torah, you say, oh, well, that's more important than the Talmud Chacham, and I'm not going to show kavod to the Talmud Chacham. Okay, so now the Gemara ends this by saying, they would look towards Moshe until he went into the tent. One reads this derogatorily, how they behaved, and one says in praiseworthy. Like we know. Rabbi says the Gemara didn't want to elaborate because it was like a, because it was nasty statements. According to the Medrash, basically it looked after Moshe. They were like making comments about him. They were saying, oh, look how fat he is. Look how whatever he is. It's all because he, he takes advantage of us. You know, he, he got wealthy from us so they would make like this never happens anywhere else that people make actually complaints and comments about their rabbi so that's one version of it and the other one says Lushvach so what's Lushvach Lushvach now we get to some halacha which we're going to base on this connect to this pasuk and back if the chacham is passing so then you stand when he comes within your four amot and once he gets out of your farm you can sit back down if however it's not just a chacham but the head of the bastin then then uh, as soon as you see him which again we sort of pointed out the irony because more kavod is shown when he gets nearer and you stand up but you know as was pointed out the other day maybe the whole you know the whole sort of your own midah that you uh, you need to stand not for him anyway as soon as you see him but once he gets out of your foramot, Yoshev, then you can go back and sit okay. down. What does that mean? He yeah. enters the room, yeah. or he, you see him at the other end of the street, yeah. you stand up, he's coming your way, once he gets four amos right. out of your way, behind you, right, or he comes in that end of the room, the whole base matter stands up for the Rebbe, once the Rebbe passes me and gets out of my foramot, right, then I stood until he went out, from the time he entered my zone, my sight zone, until he left my space zone. So, okay? You ready? No, again, we're back to like any Chacham. Well, that's what we're going to get. Keep on reading. Okay. Um, okay, but if it's a Nasi, actually, we're not. We're not. We're framing Moshe here as the Nasi. Okay, which again, what does that mean? It's about higher. It seems now we're sort of the political dimension, not just the Torah dimension. Okay, you don't sit until the Rebbe or the Nasi actually is seated himself. 
Right, so the question is, how does this translate to the case of, you know, Rabo Muvhak? Um, I think hey, that the... Right, you're going back to the question about standing before your father. Hold on. Let me just see very quickly. One minute. Yeah, the Ramam does not distinguish between uh, Rebbe and Rabo Mufak in terms of standing. Um, so that's interesting. In terms of the issue about the father, um, in terms of the issue about the father, let me just see quickly. Shochan Aruch here. No, he has the Shogun says Chayev Aviv. I think he's just getting this. He's getting this just implicitly from this Gemara. I mean, it's interesting that it didn't come up in the earlier Gemaras. There is that story about the Rabbi that gets up and says, "Here's his mother coming, the Shchinis coming." But here he just says Chayev Lamot Aviv, and I think he's just getting it implicitly. I don't know. I think there are some communities where they do. Is it understood that your your parents are Mochelists or not? Maybe, probably in most of our places we assume that they're Mochel. Okay, but then you're right. I mean, it's implicit in this Gemara, but the Gemara never said it directly in the discussions of Kibbutz Avaim. Okay, let's continue. Again, standing would be your mother, too. I mean, yeah, and father, and that's an important point to remember also, because all we wind up talking about father, 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 and particularly when we talk about things that are more about status and year and authority, you know, you know, but of course the Gemara before points out that's why the Torah emphasized Moros aim first, to know that that same is true about the mother, right? Okay, now we've moved on completely switching gears to this big issue about the, the, the mitzvah of Seishazman Grama that um, women are exempt from. Komitzah Seishazman Grama, any time-bound mitzvah, men are obligated and women are exempt. Tana Rabbanan, what would be an example of this? Sukkah, Valulav, Shofar, Vitzitzis. Vitzillin, okay? Those are a good couple of examples. Tzitzis and Tzillin, presumably because Tzitzis doesn't apply at night. Tzillin, because Tzillin maybe doesn't apply at night and doesn't apply on Shabbos. I'll say two things about that. First of all, Tzitzis' whole discussion, he says Tzitzis does apply at night. It's just, it doesn't apply to nighttime garments. But if you're wearing a day garment at night, it applies. So why is that called Zman Grama? So this says, well, it must be that we see from this that Zman Grama doesn't mean that the mitzvah only applies at certain times. So it means that the time, the issue of time affects the scope of the mitzvah. So since because garments that are night garments don't have tzitzis, that means that time is a factor in which type of garments are obligated in tzitzit. Okay? But that becomes now a very funny definition. How about tzillin? So it says, if we possibly that nighttime is man tzillin, and you just don't wear it at night because you're afraid you'll pass gas, then the only time you don't wear tzillin is Shabbos. So he says, would, if I, you hadn't already bought into the idea that, tfil, that that's mitzvah sasei shazman grama, would you say that's mitzvah sasei shazman grama? I wouldn't. I would say that fundamentally you're always obligated to wear tzillin, and there's sometimes well you're exempt right but no because it's not constant now it becomes mangrama so we wind up like redefining what mangrama means okay now the Gemara continues the A is the Mitzvah to say Shaloh is mangrama what's considered not time bound 
So mezuzah makia veda shvishu hakan. Okay. So your mezuzah and a, a, a thing around your what do you call it? Around uh, around your uh, a, a, a roof, your uh, a fence around your roof, and returning the lost object and sending away the mother bird. Now Tosa says it's a very funny list that the Gemara gives because with the ex- exemption exception of mezuzah, every single one of those is connected to a lotase. Right? It says by Aveda, it says, Lo tuchali hitalein, you cannot hide yourself from it. And sending away the mother bird, it says, Shaleh Talach, but it says, Lo tikach eim abanim. Okay? And Maket says, What? So Tosos' question is, Lo tasim damim bevetecha by Maket. So Tosos' question is like twofold. You could sort of say, like, even if it weren't, they, even if they weren't obligated in the mitzvah, say, they'd have to be doing this because of the Lo And another sort of way to is say it, well, Mizzou's a plan, but he's asking about three of the four. And the other way of asking the question is that he says, like, you know, sort of like we say that, and this even stronger, like if we say, like, oh, women are, are told that they can't eat matzo, so they have to eat, uh, that they can't eat chumet, so they have to eat matzo. Like, like, one would think that the quality of a mitzvah say that is linked to a lotase is a different type. Like, I could tell me, any time there's a lotase, of course they're also chayiv in the ase, right? But the stam say by itself, that's a different story, but here, so it comes as a package. So Tosos tries to find cases where you would just have the assay without the lot assay. Like by the Aveda, he said, let's say I would pick up the Aveda with the intent to return it, and then I changed my mind. So that wouldn't be lo to chalit alein, but it would still be a myth of hashev tashiv. Or let's say I built a fence on my roof, and then the fence fell down. So it wouldn't be lo tasim damim vevetecha, because I, I did initially respond to the situation, but it would still be vasita ma'ake. Okay, so he finds these scenarios, but bottom line is, it was a really good question, because even if you could separate them, you could still say that they're fundamentally of a different quality than something that's just a standalone mitzvah taseh. So it is interesting that the Gemara gives all of these examples. I know okay? this is not a, the right example. Let's say they're making a bracha. That's not considered a mitzvah taseh. I mean, though, it's only triggered by things I, I do at right. certain points. Right, like, but again, things that, things that can happen at any time, but are not related to this specific time of day or time on the calendar is not zman grama. The opposite of zman grama is not constant. It just means that it's not linked to well, time. Mezuzah, you always have to have it. Right. You always have to have it. Uh, no, but Aveda is when you see an Aveda. Shilohagana is when, is when you see uh, the bird's nest. So that's the worst pointing out. That it doesn't, Shilohagana does not mean constant. It just means it's not based on calendar and time of day. Okay. So now the question says like this. Does this cloud really work? Does this really, you know, explain what they're obligated and what they're exempt from? Hooray, matzah simcha hakel. Here are three mitzvot, eating matzah, you know, v'samachti v'chagecha, ata, you know, what is it? Yeah, yeah, matzah, like the mitzvah, like matzah. Oh, I thought you were saying the pasuk for... No, and then simcha, matzah is mitzvah's matzah, the Seder night. Simcha is, you know, it says, ata, what it says, ata, what's the pasuk? V'samachti v'chagecha? Ata v'etecha. Ata v'etecha. Ata v'etecha, I think, I think that's the pasuk. And, um, uh, uh, where were we? Um, yeah, right. Rashi says, Rashi doesn't even quote Maybe it's Bitcha is where we're learning it from. Okay, anyway, and Hakel, okay, where it explicitly says women come to Hakel. The Mitzvah says, Man Grama, that's only under certain times, we're not some Chayavos. 
and they're obligated to. So that's cases where it's time bound and they're obligated. Now I'll give you cases where it's not time bound that they're exempt. Hare Talmud Torah, Pirav Rivia, Pinyan Aben. So Talmud Torah, which is constant, Pirav Rivia, which is you know again it might start only when a person is of you know uh, you know is, is of uh, bio, you know able to have kids, but nevertheless it's basically not based on calendar and time of day. And Pinyan Aben, which also starts on day thirty, but then it's ongoing. Okay, the Lab Mitzvah says Jasmine Grama. That's not considered time bound. The Gashim Ptu wrote, and women are exempt. Of course, the one we haven't discussed was period review. We discussed it back in Yavamos, but the others we discussed. Anyway, so this cloud doesn't work in either direction. So the Gemara says, You cannot learn from general statements even when certain exceptions are listed. You know, if here's the general principle with the following exceptions. So you would think if you're going to tell me the exceptions, then it means it's always true in, when, in, in all other cases. No, you can never trust a, a general principle, okay? So, I don't know. It's a general guideline, but it's never, it's not 100%. And even if you're giving exceptions, they might not be all the exceptions, okay? You can make an Erev, Rashi says it means Erev Chatzir, or Shituf Mavos, like joining in together in order to, you know, in, in some shared food to allow carrying. Chutz, um, you can do it with any type of food, except for salt and water, because those are not considered like sating and filling. The two leka, but are there no other things? How about fungi and uh, mushrooms? You see, even if it says this is the rule with the following exceptions, you can't trust it. There could be other exceptions and it's not 100% of a rule. Now the question still is, that's well the Rambam. When I read that in the Rambam Parish Mishnayas. Now the question is though, what does that mean? Does that mean though, this is generally the rule that dictates there's just lots and lots of exceptions but this is really you know a fundamental reason why women are exempt unless you find another exemption what does it even mean and one way of understanding this is like this is just an easy way to describe and categorize but really this is what the Raman says in Parish Mishnayas everything we know we just know separately from Misora you know it's not like there's a rule that dictates right that's a really important question because the general way the Gemara operates, the stam of the Gemara operates, is that this rule does dictate. That if you don't know what the halacha is, you can, you can sort of like, you know, um, refer to the idea that it's a, a mitzvah man grama, and that should dictate that women should be exempt. So that it really is that if, that, that, that we should presume that anything that's a mitzvah man grama, because it's a mitzvah women should be exempt, unless you have some proof otherwise. Which is very different than saying that after the fact, we look at the, all the cases and we sort of give this as some type of a descriptor, right? It's very different to be an after-the-fact descriptor and a before-the-fact uh, reason for why women are, you know, predictor of why women are exempt. And that's going to be the presumption of the Gemara is the latter way. So let's keep on reading. Okay, women are exempt. Minolan, where do you know this from? Gamar mitfilin. So now we get to the what's the whole source of this? From tfilin. Ma tfilin nashim p'turot. Women are exempt. Of course, we're going to have to ask how we know women are exempt from tfilin. Ah, Everything tfilin is becomes the paradigm. So we have two questions. Number one is how do you know tfilin women are exempt? And two, why do you choose tfilin as the paradigm as opposed to other things as the paradigm? Okay, so when it says tfilin, gamar lami talmud Torah. Ma talmud Torah nashim p'turot. The same with talmud Torah which women are exempt because it says benechem and we read that to mean 
even filling women are exempt. Now, of course, you have to point out the irony. The Talmud Torah is not Zman Grama, right? So the Pasuk is, right, what's the Pasuk? By Kriyat Shema, right? The Pasuk by the Shema is what? Right, right. Right, right. Etc., which is Torah, and then it says, right, Shatam Laot Yadacha and Vayulitotafot. And then we're going to have Uchsav Tam, because that's going to be Mizuzah, Al Mizuzot. Okay, so here we're going to have Mizuzah. Women are high ever potter in Mizuzah. Thank, thank you very much. Okay, Tsilin, women are high ever potter. Potter. Okay. Talmud Torah, women are pata. Okay, so we're going to say we know women are pata here because of Benechem, Benechem, Velo, Benotechem. We know women are pata. Therefore, they're pata here. Okay, how do we know we're chayiv in mezuzah? Why don't we just keep on going down the, the row? We'll find out. Okay, and because they're pata here, we're going to say that this becomes the paradigm that the putter when it's, you know, mitzvah say, shazvan grama. Which is very ironic, because if it started here, say this is the paradigm, and then they should be putter from even mitzvah say, man grama. Okay, so, so we will, con- let's take a look where the Gemara goes. Okay? Okay? Why don't we say, Wait a minute. Who told you that children are potter? Maybe children should be chayav the same way women are chayav in mezuzah. Tefillin the Talmud Torah iskish. Bein b'parsha rishon, bein b'parsha shnia. No, because in the first parsha you have tefillin juxtaposed to Talmud Torah. Okay, and in the second parsha of Kriyat Shema it happens. Tefillin the mezuzah b'parsha shnia lo iskish. But if you look in the second parsha of Kriyat Shema, it's not directly juxtaposed to mezuzah, right? Because the second parsha of Kriyat Shema reads how. Right, so the first part is what we said. The second part of Kriyashma is it reverses the order first it has then it has and then it says so in the second parsha it says so in the second parsha Tfilin is linked to Talmud Torah and it's too distant from Mezuzah Okay, so therefore, the tefillin is always linked to Talmud Torah, and it's not always linked to Mezuzah, so we're going to learn it out from Talmud Torah that tefillin is Pater and not Chayah. Okay, so now the Gemara continues. Yeah, everybody with me? Okay. Uh, now, the Gemara says, okay, V'nei Kush Mezuzah Talmud Torah. Okay, so now we've got that these two are always linked, so these are Pater. So now, 
let's go and continue and say mezuzah should learn out from Trillin or here mezuzah should learn out from Talmud Torah directly because they're linked here and let's say mezuzah also learn our pater okay the nekrish mezuzah will Talmud Torah no let's talk about it in order that your days should increase gavar b'ichai nashi lo b'ichai what only many life women don't need life so because mezuzah says obviously women are chai of course Tosus of of so, points out Torah Talmud Torah also says so women should be chai ah, but there it says so sort of like this tips the scales when we don't know what the halacha is going to be okay since we don't know we're going to presume that women are going to be chai but if we have a special drasha, drasha like then women are going to be exempt okay so now the Gemara says like this um, okay so now we've got how this breaks down, how we know this, but we, and that we've chosen this as our paradigm, which is ironic because it was learned from this. But we've chosen this as our paradigm to say mitzvah say shazman grama. So now the Gemara says like this. Um, time bound. And it says, all citizens. So what's the word Ezrach doing? So one of the drush is Ezrach means women are exempt. So now the question is, why don't we say that since you needed a Pasuk to exempt women by Sukkah, you see that the general rule is that women are obligated in the Mitzvah Man Grama. Right? As then presuming that that rule really dictates the dictates each individual case. Alright? So, oh, maybe we should learn from the need to exempt women by Sukkah that the rule is that women are chayiv in Mitzvah Sasei Man Grama. But says, no. Amar by Itzri. No, you needed that to be said there. I would have thought if you dwell you dwell like you dwell in your house husband and wife you know dwell together eat together sleep together I would have thought right I would have thought that yeah maybe I, no I know that rule's in place but I would have thought would have demanded women to be obligated so therefore you needed but that does not tell you that the rule is different than you thought the rule was now Rav says Itzrich you need it I would have thought because it both says here on the 15th day you sit in the sukkah on the 15th day you eat a matzah so same women are obligated in matzah because since women are prohibited against chametz we link the prohibition of chametz to the midst of eating matzah so since they're obligated in matzah I would have said women should be obligated in eating in the sukkah so tzricha, so you needed to exempt them. But even though women needed to be exempted by sukkah, that doesn't say that the rule is not what we thought it was. The rule still is, I would have thought sukkah, there's a special reason women should be chayev. But the general rule is, women are exempt from a time-bound mitzvah. By the way, since matzah is coming up, since Pesach is coming up, I'll say something about this link between matzah and sukkah. There's actually an interesting machlokas risham around this. You know, sukkah in general, you're exempt when it's raining out, because it's not considered like a normal way of living in a place to be eating while it's raining. But some Shown him say that on the first night you have to eat even if it's raining because it's linked to matzah and therefore that sort of shows this like absolute it's obligation right you know, all's right anyway so it's interesting about that link but nevertheless women are exempt that's why you needed the pasta so now the word says like this the time of the chiv, okay so the word says like this what minute there's another place where if this rule really applies I can again ask why did I need the pasuk to tell me each, this, the following case there's there's Olas Re'iyah right appearing uh, 
three times on the regalim, bringing a korban, a korban. The mitzvah of it's time down. What more mitzvah of Seychelles grumet you have than a three times a year pilgrimage? The time of the kol zechman is zechorcha. It says yer et kol zechorcha. All of your males should appear. Lahuti has a nashim to exclude female women. Halavachi nashim chayavos. So presumably, though, the rule would have been if the Torah had to spell out men are exempt. I should, it seems like the rule would have been women should have been obligated. So that seems to show that women are ob- are obligated even in time bound mitzvot. Or else, why did the pasuk have to spell it out here? No, it's good. It had to spell it out. I would have thought that since women are obligated in Hakel, it says explicitly women, and it says there also, you know, shall appear, and here it says shall appear, so maybe I would say the same way they have to appear, you know, to hear Hakel for the gathering every seven years, they have to appear for the Regalim. So it had to say, no, 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 don't learn out from Hakel, they're exempt. It's indicating okay. you make their show on your own. I thought it has to be in Mesora. You, you would have done it, but you can't. Uh, it's a good point. I don't know the answer. It's a good point. Um, okay. Now the Afina fine. So now the Gemara dealt with a side issue, which is if, if this rule really applies, why does there have to say it explicitly in the following cases? Okay, that was a parenthetical question. But now let's get back to the basic point that Tzillin is a paradigm from where we learned this rule out. And the other obvious questions, there are so many other cases, why are we choosing Tzillin as the paradigm? Right? There's no other cases to look. So now let's take a look at the Gemara. The Gemara says like this. Um, the Afina one minute let's look at a mitzvah that's time bound that women are obligated what are the three mitzvahs that we mentioned that are time bound that women are obligated matzah, simcha and hakel and let's say that those are the paradigms that women are obligated in time bound mitzvot right okay so why don't we learn out so let's go through them let's learn out from simcha that women are obligated in time bound mitzvot no 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 women are not personally obligated in simcha it's you the man have to be misameach your household it's not that your wife is obligated in simcha you are obligated for your whole household okay three two three yeah basically or it's like yeah it's in the list but it's not a real exception okay by the way interesting Rashi Tosa Rashi says what it means to be misamcha is like buy her nice clothes or whatever nice food but Tosa says yeah but that's only nowadays let's not forget that simcha meant bringing shlame simcha bringing those korbanot so Tosa says what it means is the husband is obligated to bring the korbanot and to share the meat of those korbanot with the members of his household. But it's not the woman's obligation. Okay? So that's what Abai says. What if she's a widow? So, because how do you know that the widow is obligated? Because it says, that you should be misameach with the, you know, soldier, with the stranger and the amana. So, fine. What it means is, the same way the gear. What it means is, like, the, if you have a widow that is somehow dwelling among you, you know, your neighbor, someone in your household, or whatever it is, then you have a responsibility. Your mother, you have a responsibility in those cases to be misameach as a member of your household. But not that she has a personal obligation. Okay. So Simcha is not really an exception anyway. So now the Gemara says, okay, V'neil is Mehakel. We still have two other things that could serve as our paradigm. Hakel and Matzah. Let's run out from Hakel. So now we're going to use those two. We're going to, you know, off one another. Okay. Yeah. Good. You got two, you got two cases. So those two cases mean you can't learn from either of them. Because the principle is if the Torah says something in two different places, we should interpret those as exceptions rather than the rules. Okay. 
So you have hakel, and, you have hakel and matzah, and those neutralize one another. All right. Now Ihachi says Gemara tefillin nami Okay. So here are the cases, right? So here's the, basically what you have. Here are you know mitzvahs ase shazman grama that women are exempt. Are what do we have? We had tefillin. What do we have? What else did Gemara just say after tefillin? The ER. Oh, okay, yeah. women, right? Women are them. You know, sukkah, lulav. Yeah, but some of those, a lot of those aren't in the psukim, right? The ones that are in the psukim, which are the basis, right? Are like sofar, sofar, lulav is in sukkah is in the part of based on the drasha. Sitzes and tefillin aren't in it. Okay, this is loazman grama, ain't right? Loazman grama. That women are that women are exempt are what did we just say? Oh no, Lo, uh, Hasman Grama that women are chayev. I'm sorry, this is chayev, and this is pater. So the chayev in the chayev category was was simcha, which we sort of got rid of, hakel and matzah. So which one should be the paradigm? So we look at these and say women are chayev and time and mitzvahs, or look at these and say women are exempt. So we said, well, we, we don't look at these because since there's two cases that are said explicitly, they work off one another. They're snakes of Mabon Ka'achad. Okay, so then let's not learn from any of these. Here we have actually even three examples. Okay, yeah, right? Three things that the Torah say women are exempt. I mean, this is, exp- you know, none if, of these... If it's two, then certainly three. If, it's, if you can't learn from two, you certainly can't learn from three. So how does these become a paradigm? That's just... If, you, if these aren't a paradigm to say you're high, if these shouldn't be a paradigm to say you're potter. So let's see what the Gemara says. No, there you needed the Torah to say it explicitly. Because anyway, we already said why the Torah had to say sukkah. It had to say sukkah because of tajuru. So because if the Torah had to say it, then saying it doesn't make it an exception. Saying it is a clarifying statement. So we already said why it had to say sukkah, and here's why it had to say it in both of these cases. Tefillin, tefillin v'yanamishinkzumah b'anam tefillin. It had to say explicitly by Ria, like we said before. Because if it hadn't said it by Ria, I would have said, well, we learned that from Hakel, and women should be Chayev. So it had to say by Ria that women are exempt. Then I would have said maybe Tfilin should be, should be linked to Mezuzah. Right? If it had not, if it had not linked Tfilin to Talmud Torah, I would have linked it to Mezuzah. So therefore, it had to say both. So since each one of these, were, every one was necessary, we're going to look at these as the rules and not the exceptions. Because each one had to be said. But here, we're saying you didn't have to say both. And since you didn't have to say both, these are the exceptions. So these are the exceptions because it's superfluous, and these are the rules. So now we're going to say why this was a superfluous. Ihachi says the Gemara, Matzah v'hakel nami tzrichi. I could tell you that you needed to say both Matzah and Hakel, and those also should be rules and not exceptions. Matzah why are they both needed? If it just said hakel, I get why it had to say matzah. Because if it had not said by matzah that if it not, excuse me, if it had not said yeah, if it had not said by matzah that women are chayav, then I would have learned out from sukkah that women are exempt 
So therefore, because because we know women are exempt from sukkahs because hayesrach. So therefore, it ha- I could argue that it had to say matzah of women are chayiv because otherwise, so I shouldn't learn out from sukkahs. But why by hakel did it have to say women are chayiv? Just tell me matzah. Don't tell me hakel. How would I have known anyway that women are chayiv? It's obvious. If it says hanashim v'hanashim v'hataf. If infants are chayev, nashim will call shkain. Certainly, women should be chayev. Okay, so therefore, says the Gemara, this is superfluous. Hakel did not have to tell me that women are chayev. Just tell me women are chayev in matzah. Infants are chayev in hakel, and of course, women would be chayev. So if you're still going to tell me women are chayev, it's to point out that these are the exceptions. These are the, and therefore, you should know that the rule is against this, and these are only being spelled out because they're the exceptions. And this category, the pure category, is the rule. And the reason it said it multiple times was each one was needed to clarify something. But here it was superfluous, so the fact that it was superfluous here makes it the exception if it was being spelled out, and here the pure category becomes the rule. Okay, the Alamin at Sin, not Mokoshkin. Okay, so amazingly, we actually got pretty much caught up, and what we have learned out now is the irony that we learned Silin from Talmud Torah, and Silin becomes the paradigm, even though if we had made Talmud Torah the paradigm, we would have said that women should be exempt from all mitzvah, all mitzvah say, but somehow we got down to here, and then we made this the paradigm, and then we said, one minute, the cases of Chiyuv, of, of, of time down, cases of tour, which do you decide is the paradigm? And it says, these are the paradigms because each one of these was necessary so these are not read as exceptions these are the exceptions because since some of this was not necessary to be said this rule is being read as the exceptions rule and this rule is being read as uh, this, this list is the exceptions list and this list is the rules list okay we will continue tomorrow that show is sold out to the end of the run. Uh-huh.